I'll try not to. I'll try not to. I'm trying to be real quiet. I'm trying to I'm trying to make get paid eventually one day. <laughs> like look, I'm just accepting the fact that we're gonna get demonetized every time I come on this show. I say at least once a show because Flay will say something ridiculous or Pars will say something <laughs> ridiculous that would get us demonetized. The only person that hasn't gotten us demonetized yet is Malaika. And that's just a miracle. So. <laughs> no, but, but you know the thing is, they love it. They love me in the comments, though. This is where I'm... That's what really matters. It's all love. He's talking so real. I'm just like, bro, but you <laughs> so I'm going to have to come back on this show more than once. <laughs> no, nah, listen, we're already officially inviting you because, yo, listen, I... I have mad questions now, like just because, just because of the. Ryan, start recording. Just start recording. We are already recording. This is the Black Black Pack, and we have a very special guest today. A guest who is one of the top minds in mental health, inspirational to all of us, inspirational to people in general. If you want to be a writer, want to be, if you're an artist of your own craft, this is somebody you would like to meet and talk to. We have him on the show today here in the Blackjack Pack. It is Asante Hogton. How are you doing today? I appreciate it. that last name. My bad. Well, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the only, like, no, <laughs> only people that's like ruining it. But, you know, I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I try my best. You know, people ruin my name too. That's why I had to abbreviate the parse. What's hilarious is that people ruin my last name, which, like, I don't know if anyone went to school, but, like, when you put the G and the H together, it's always silent, you know? But, mm-hmm. anyway. Hey, listen, listen. You, you know, you know the school systems are different depending on the, depending on where you went, depending on you know, their neighborhood. So I, I, I know what you're trying to say. Like, I, I'm gonna break it off right then and there, like that. That's just, the rougher neighborhood. For those of you to say. context, I uh, to say. we have one of the top minds of mental health here today to talk about his article he actually written. Uh, that's been having wild acclaim all over Canada. Uh, Asante is a very established writer. And in one of the articles he just written recently, it's called Dear White People, Why Is Your Mental Health So White? It was written on November 24th, 2020, this year. If you're looking for a good read, we will have the links in the descriptions as, as, as well as other uh, written pieces he has done throughout the year in his career. So mm-hmm. uh, here to talk to us about it uh, and presented as Asante. Can you just uh, tell us what your inspiration was for... Uh, doing this uh, this this writing piece. Well, I mean, first things first. I appreciate the intro. Um, you know, it's it's, it's always hey, you know. So thank you for that, man. You know, because I look in the mirror, I just see like a regular dude, right? So, <laughs> 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 but you know, so I appreciate that. Um, but in terms of like my inspiration, like, I mean, you know, let's let's run through the background quick. So I mean, I had like a lot of mental health issues growing up. Um, uh, just you know, depression, anxiety, suicidality, those kinds of things. And um, there were other people in my family as well who struggled with those things, but also, you know, maybe some harder to manage things like hallucinations and things of that nature. So, excuse me, I just I just grew up around this kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, in my family, I mean, no one talked about it outside of our family because um, it was just kind of like, yo, let's get through this and forget it ever happened. Um, Fast forward, I did a degree in psychology. 
I graduated. And upon graduation, I mean, everyone knows you can't really do anything with like uh, undergrad in psychology, right? So it's like, or get the undergrad period. Right? I mean, nowadays, I mean, if you don't have, you know, some letters next to your name, I mean, what are you doing with your life? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, for me, I, I started volunteering at this mental health organization um, in Toronto. And they were starting this new program, getting young people to get on stage, to talk to other like teenagers um, about mental health and like their lived experience or whatever. And there was two young people in the office, me and the next young woman. So they came to us and they're like, yo, we're gonna put you on stage. I didn't know how to say no at that point in my life. So I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I guess, why not? So um, I got on stage and you know I, I told like my mental health story for the first time and like people loved it um they said i was a natural at it and that was kind of my entrance into the mental health space so at that time like mentally i was like i don't ever want to talk about this stuff ever again but then all of a sudden everyone came out the woodwork and they're like yo we want to we want to hear your story um because it's, it's they, they said it was inspiring again i never looked at my own story as inspiring i was like yo this is the terrible life that i lived for the first 24 years you know what i mean and i survived you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> you, know but, you know trauma becomes a commodity sometimes depending on how you package it um so I'm anyway NBA player. <laughs> right so you know <laughs> so um i just started doing a lot of speaking of my own story and then all of a sudden you know, next thing you know, I was like in this like small documentary and then I was getting invited to the conferences and just more and more opportunities emerged. And I started noticing that everything I did, I was surrounded by white people all the time. Um, and for me, that was problematic, uh, mainly because, um, you know, at that time, mental health was like just emerging as a conversation. And, you know, the system wasn't really you know, even there, there weren't even that many mental health services at that time. So it wasn't really engaging at that time too. It was like little bit brand new. People obviously, obviously like flick the shoulder at it. They're like, don't worry about it. Just overcome it. So it wasn't really a big conversation. That's exactly it. Right. So, I mean, and I looked at it like, okay, now everyone, I started noticing everyone started to want to talk about this thing. And I was like, but if the only people talking about it are white people, there's a problem because eventually those talks about oh we need to be more aware of mental health are it's going to lead to you know implementing programs and policy and then money is going to be given to you know certain institutions and then all these things are going to develop but who's going to be left out and if, it's the same question right is are is our people going to be in service of this stuff are we going to reap the benefits of it because a lot of these policies even in the, in the legal department they make laws and changes in government how does it affect us are we do we even count exactly do we even count right so for me i looked at it like okay you know these, these white folks are comfortable with me because like i smile a lot and you know i understand you know to some extent some you know their culture or whatnot you know i went to a all white school in grade seven and eight so you know i picked up some of that like acculturation there um you, you know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, you learn something. Thing is, <laughs> part of, part, like, and that's one thing that, one of my questions, sorry to interrupt you, but because I work in a very predominantly white area. Like, what? I work, and I work in a very, like, industry. 
So like, I can literally like I me and Parts me and Parts have these conversations all the time. You can literally on my team there's me and another black girl. But like, let's say on my last two big jobs, in the, on the floor, on the floor we were maybe ten black people out of maybe two hundred. Right. So, and this is a huge, huge company, like huge, right? Like in the whole company, let's say if there's 500 people in Toronto working on in that office, maybe 30, 40 of them are black. Maybe, maybe, I, like I'm saying 40 and I'm stretching it, it's probably more like 30, right? So I'm fully aware of that. Plus I went to a high school, predominantly white. You could, you could, count and pick out the black kids mm-hmm. me, there's a time where me and my brother were the only two black kids that are elementary school like if he's running down in in the courtyard i can see ryan because i <laughs> only have a dark dude in the in the whole whole thing right so i'm so like even when you're explaining this to to white people about being in their culture and still being the only black person or non-white person in the room, it, it means a lot. And that's why I feel like your conversation about mental health is so important because it does affect us. Because you sit there in the room, like I even said this, I have jokes. I know that will hit real well with white people. Yep. Jokes that hit well in this group. Jokes that hit well with brown people. Jokes that, listen, I'm funny everywhere, but I'm funny differently everywhere. Right? 100%. Because I, because I, because it's like currency. Like I got to make myself, I've got to ingratiate myself in that, in that situation. And because of that, this leads on to my first question. Um, how do you think black mental health versus white mental health affects both the workplace and the educational system? That's a big question, man. I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that one before. I, I came here, I was like ready to answer some questions I've been asked before. I mean, but that's um, Clay, man. He has a big, oh, listen, oh, that's I, his brain right there, bro. He, he's <laughs> Welcome to the Blackjack Pack, where we ask the tough questions <laughs> and laugh the entire time. <laughs> Which is how I like it. Um, serious, but also fun at the same time. You know, what I mean, that's, that's yeah. kind of my personality. But um, anyway, like you know, I would say that you know, fundamentally. What needs to be like the way I looked at it is that I had difficulty accessing mental health care because my experience was not what was normalized. So if I go to a therapist now and I describe my experience, they're only going to hear 60% of it, which is the 60% they can understand, right? But they may not, they don't understand the impact of race. Even if I'm not talking about overt forms of racism, they still don't understand the impact of what I have to think about every day and the amount of stress that I'm under every single day just because I'm a black person in a society that is not, you know, that doesn't necessarily treat me well all the time, right? So, and and then, you know, also growing up in public housing, you know, on top of that, where there are other, you know, temptations and potential harms or what have you, um, that, that could get in the way. So I have all of that. And then, you know, a, a lot of therapy wants to really distill mental health down to a bunch of symptoms 
almost as if those symptoms just magically emerge somewhere. But realistically, yo, a man was depressed because I was in poverty. A man was depressed because I was getting harassed by police on, on a weekly basis. A man was depressed because of a whole variety of different reasons. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I can't go to the typical average therapist's office and they're going to, you know, make that link between those things and my condition or at the same time, you know, what I get from them may not be useful because when I leave that therapist's office, I'm still going back to the same environment that I came from. So, I mean, all I can really do at that point, I mean, is, is cope with what I'm dealing with. But, you know, a lot of folks, uh, mental health practitioners, they want to erase the symptoms completely rather than help you to deal with them and manage them right so recovery for me is not something where uh you know you're just you're fixed you know recovery is you learn you learn how to manage the difficult things in life better so that they don't impact you to the extent that you start being self-destructive or making decisions that you know harm harm other people and maybe harm yourself or your own future so for me that's what it's about because you know at the end of the day, I'm still going to be a black person in a society that, you know, is, is going to, you know, at this stage of history anyways, um, you know, diminish my existence in, in particular ways. So, you know, you can't remove that from me. You just can't. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's, it's better I learn how to deal with microaggressions. It's better I learn how to deal with, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, getting caring. You know what I'm saying? It's better I it's better I deal learn how to deal with these things rather than you know just have these things happen. I don't know how to process them. I don't know how to think about them. I'm just angry, and that that anger then you know manifests into having low self esteem, which manifests into having low confidence, which manifests into not engaging with the world in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I, I start to look at myself in the mirror and think, you know. Uh, I'm not living the life that I want to live because I have implicitly been told by society that those things aren't possible. Or if you try them, you know, someone's going to make your life a living hell in those spaces. Right. So then, you know, your life, your possibilities, you know, each one of us is born with is huge. But society, when you're a black person, kind of shrinks those things down and, and, you know, it becomes hard to, you know, that's a really good segment because like you know with super supernova and the star you're also in that supposedly we're supposed to be getting our superpowers today i don't know if you guys got yeah 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 didn't get any Black <laughs> but, yo listen i've had superpowers my whole life now y'all i'm about to upgrade y'all call me off the trouble right now i'm just letting y'all know like you said, like uh, with with our lives as well, like because coming from a, a home where you know you're kind of taught, like you when you go out there, you're gonna be facing these things at a young age, and you don't really understand. But as you go through the you know, school system and life, you start to realize I can't do a lot of the things that uh, people outside my race can do, mm-hmm. and it really affects us, uh, mm-hmm. and it causes us to have that microaggression. I've had that personally, which has led into both bad thoughts, bad transgressions, right? Not that you necessarily do bad things, but that you have. And you start to overthink a lot of things. It makes you, in some ways, weird to other people who are not outside because they can't really understand. Um, Brian has. A- they don't know what's going on in your head. Why? You, why you're like, you're you're 
you know, people used to say I was quiet, but I was quiet. Yeah. And it was because I was thinking all the tell time. People, man. I was trying to strategize my way through every environment. Exactly. When I was in high school and, and in my early 20s, just trying to figure everything out. So if I was quiet, it's because I was shutting my mouth and trying to, like, you know, everyone is moving. But, you know, at the end of the day, too, like, when you grow up with the project, like, you have to learn how to read people really quick and understand, like, it becomes built into you that every environment is potentially a threat. So we have to quickly try to figure out where those threats are coming from and then neutralize them for your own safety. Right? I've never heard that before. That is eye-opening. I uh, think... Ryan, you had a question for sure. Oh, wait, actually, Parth, how have you never heard that before? That's classic Cove and Kanye, how to move in a room full of vultures. Like, and I say this all the time, like, when they say it, I, I take it in a different context. It's just when he said it in the, in those words, I kind of saw it in a different way. Something mm -hmm. like kind of more blatant. No. It's kind of like he whitewashed it to a point where like anybody could understand it. No, you know but I mean? no, but but and to, to even push us to what Sante is saying is like one thing that probably helps our mental health and it's probably something that is probably deeply rooted in our culture and something that's obviously been taken away from us just because of geopolitical and police brutality and stuff like that especially for young men the like i know especially in africa and especially in jamaica and places like that beforehand the the father or older brothers or uncles played huge roles in young men's lives in terms of directing them and helping them out and i me and ryan say this all the time we wouldn't even be half of the young men that we are without our uncle right mm -hmm. because like he taught us how to move in a room full of vultures. Like because of my uncle, like I can go whether it's to the club, in a meeting with directors, in a meeting wherever, and safely be able to manage exactly what you were saying, right? So I feel like it doesn't like it's not even like it's a solution that is part of a greater problem, mm -hmm. right? Just by having more black men and black women in better positions or there for their children helping them in in positive ways i think that takes a lot of stress out because it's easier to navigate if somebody else is telling you the cheat the cheat code correct plan i totally understand and i thought that i understand your point and i feel like right now we're at kind of a crossroads because we're talking about the environment how to move how to how to direct yourself and i think that the timing at which you released your article is actually perfect because most of us are gearing up for another wave of lockdown or gearing up like how what move what tactics do you think that people need right now in terms of black social uh, mental health what do we need to know as we enter the second wave of lockdown what, what do you think would be important keys to success here you know, uh, for me, uh, to take it a little deeper, I think that one of the challenges that we as Black folks sometimes have is being vulnerable enough to access our own emotions. Um, and, and that's not because there's anything inherently wrong with us. It's because of what we've had to be in order to be resilient, right? You know, I, 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 in a lot of ways, I dislike that word resilience because, you know, Resilience means that you're struggling or that you suffered, right? So, and, and within that, it's like to be resilient, sometimes you do have to turn off a part of yourself in order to survive, right? You know what it's I mean? It's a different so, environment. Yeah, you know, completely. Like, so it's like, I was a very emotional kid who like cried at anything, 
and then I became depressed and you know I was I became a teenager and I was dealing with everything I was dealing with just in life whether it was my own mental health or like temptations from you know what was going on around me my environment at school what have you so I shut down my emotions even though I felt like and it's a weird thing in, in, in the sense that I was not very outwardly expressive you know people were always used to call me stoic that was like one of the number one things people used to say about me for like all those years I was really struggling and during that time I there no matter how sad something happened people could die what I, I just couldn't cry you know what I mean and and, and I just I, I didn't even want to many times right but also I couldn't access the joy either um and you know so what that says is you know, sometimes when we're resilient we have to shut down in order to be that right which yeah. is not a good place to be because when you're resilient is essentially you are you know moving away from your vulnerability because it actually might be too overwhelming for you to deal with at that time while you try right. to manage whatever is happening in your life right so now when we talk about you know a second wave of covid you know it hits me different than a lot of people because I'm privileged in the sense that I have a job where I've had no interruption since COVID started. I've, everything moved virtual. My salary stayed the same. You know, my wife, the same thing. So we're very, like, very fortunate in that sense. Um, but I understand that's not the case for a lot of people. Um, maybe most people and people are struggling in a variety of different ways. Maybe they don't have, you know, a, a partner living at home with them who you know and just another person they could confide in who lives with them maybe they don't you know maybe they don't even have that many connections to begin with at all period or maybe they don't have the income you know so you know you're trying to figure out how you're going to eat or pay your rent or what have you right so you know the, the thing about these things is that when we're resilient individually that's when we shut off to be resilient collectively we can do that accessing our vulnerability because in our then you could be struggling, your wife could say you're struggling, and you know, your homegirl could say she's struggling. And if you're all accessing that vulnerability together, you're all you're able to support each other because you know what's going on. And then you have that collective resilience without needing to sacrifice, you know, the, the access to your own emotions to still have that level of humanity that you need to be able to look in the mirror and know what's going on so you can deal with it. It's a very important thing because like a lot of people out there, they're, they're, they're dealing with their, their stuff internally. Um, a lot of people aren't speaking up. They're, 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 and I've, I'm the same way to so all you guys out there who are like crumbling in the same way. I was, I was a majority of that because uh, like as a free flowing kind of speaking, speaking out, whatever came to his head type of person, that, that way of doing things became um, consequential and it affected me in the schoolyard, it affected me popularity wise. And it just really brought me down. So what I, what, what happened was instead of, you know, growing through that or, or, or even a different approach because of the way people treated me, now you're starting to see well, I'm just gonna keep it to myself now. Forget, forget everything else. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to get hurt because the more I get hurt, like even though it's mentally hitting me, it feels worse than even any physical interaction could ever hurt you, and it just breaks you down uh, crazy. That's why um, I think in the paper you said, you know, the advice on on mental health, uh, no influential mental space in the country is entirely white, and I'm so glad you said this because. A lot of the problems that a lot of people are having is that they can't really talk to a therapist because of their Eurocentric lens. Because you're, you know, you and I, we, we've come up in this upbringing, and we can't really express that to anybody else. Because if we do, we know it could mean a ton of implications. There are young kids out there 
who will be like, I can't, you know, explain what's really going on in my life. I can't explain, you know, that, that the poverty thing is really weighing me down mentally because they're not going to understand it. They're going to think I'm just a bad kid with bad intentions, but I'm not. I, I want to change my circumstance. And nobody's going to be able to understand that because of the Eurocentric lens because, oh, you need to do well in school and study, study, study. Well, I can't study, study if I'm hearing things outside my door all the time. If, you know, my neighbor is syringing all the time, how, how am I supposed to focus? You know, I was so lucky. And, you know, a lot of people like to put me on a pedestal, which I hate, um, because they're like, oh, here's the black kid from the projects who made it. And then I become a mascot for, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, those kind of thing, right? And I mean, I got really good grades growing up in high school, but here's why. Because all of my teachers allowed me to hand in assignments late and allowed me to- Oh, where did you go to school, fam? Well, I went to a, you know, I, I went. <laughs> you Yo, know, I went to, had to be on time. Well, I was late all the time. I never really got in trouble. Like I, I, I learned when I was, you know, and the story I'm, I'm, I'm about to tell is like it's a sad story, but it was a story that also taught me a lot. Okay. Um, so, I was, I was born in Jamaica, right? But I came to Canada when I was, I don't know, two, two and a half, right? But even when I was a kid, I still had a little bit of an accent because, you know, just my family, you know what I mean? So I remember being in grade two, you know, they tried to like take the accent out of me. You know, we do counting games, right? And all the other kids were four and two, three. Yeah, trust me, (laughs) right? I'm in there talking about one, two, three, you know what I mean, (laughs) right? So, anyways, and teacher's like, no, you mean three. And my mom's the I same way, too, you know. She, does, she hasn't right? let go of it. <laughs> so, anyway, what happened was um, we had a new kid in the school. He came about halfway through. It was, like, winter time when he came. And he was, like, fresh off the boat, straight from Jamaica, from the yard. Like, and not from, like, you know, the nice places in Jamaica. Like, it, was, it was rough, rough around the edges. Right, you know right, what right. I mean? so, King, like, well, t- parts of Kingston and all that kind of stuff? something like that something like I, I mean i was in grade two i didn't really ask him those questions right i didn't know anything about jamaican geography at the time either to even know what that means so um, his accent and the way that he spoke how all the faculty responded to him even when he wasn't doing anything bad and i started and i looked i'm like holy shit this kid who's just as dark as me you know relatively the same size whatever you know they treat him terribly because of how he speaks and i picked and because the fact that i mean you know he doesn't smile that much or i mean you know he smiled the same amount any normal person would smile but 10 minutes not enough right oh so it's never enough never never enough so i booked that and i'm like okay in order to develop some level of trust and credibility as people I need to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, in the background enough that they don't notice me, but also up to the forefront enough with like my talents that they do notice me. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and to always, you know, then, you know, smile and like laugh things off, even when things are like offensive or whatever, and just try to get through it because I, the kid was getting suspended already. Like you're in grade two, you're getting suspended B? Like what are you talking about? You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, um, this is ridiculous. Um, 
so I, I picked it up quick and I'm like, okay, I need to learn how to navigate this. And, you know, that's where it started for me in just terms of, you know, learning how to navigate. My mom was also really influential in that respect. At home, the conversations were always about how do you navigate the society you're growing up in? And, you know, a lot of times, you know, people are going to look at you like you're stupid. And, you know, instead of trying to combat that, let them think that and then they underestimate you and then you can walk circles around them because, you know, when they think you're dumb, they stop considering all the possibilities of what you can do. So then you just go out there and prove it. And by the time they realize what you're doing, they're already left in the dust. Right? Yeah, talk about it. Hey, Malika, um, she actually has a question, our female lead. So I'm going to let her take the floor for a second. You can go ahead. All right, my question and tip is in regards for Black women. So being a Black woman myself, having to deal with the, the barriers of like, you know, being labeled as you have to be strong all the time. And like me personally, like even in the working field, like there are times I feel like I have to project myself in a way where it's like, okay, am I looking too angry? Or am I looking too excited? Even when I'm excited, it's like, it's like I have an aggressive approach to it. So like, even like, cause I'm a teacher. So like, I've noticed like when I play certain songs, like within my classroom, like if, if I play like white music, you know, everybody's engaged. If I play like old Elvis Presley, you know, everyone's singing along and all, but when I go deep into the same thing, but if I play like Jackson 5 or Marvin Gaye, you know, like the, the, the type of approach I get, it's like, oh, like, you know, is, if it's appropriate or like, you know, and like even the way I'll... I'll ABC? Yeah, even like Jackson 5. That's, it's just like, That's it's just like, like song in history. Ex exactly. <laughs> so like, I always feel like I have to like... Super apologize you know and like tell people hey like you know like this is jackson five or like you know just little things even like the way i am sometimes like say if i just you know just talk bluntly to somebody all of a sudden we have attitude and it's like but we don't have an attitude or like if something or like like carrie could have a, a load of of projects you know if she's overwhelmed about it that's okay but if i if i come which hasn't happened but like in, from previous experiences if i'm coming and say hey i'm not i'm not feeling too well oh you'll be okay you'll be fine blah 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 and it's just like how much more are we supposed to deal with these things but the minute we speak on about it it's an issue or is there a problem at home or something wrong and it's like no it's just like it's been happening it's like a pattern you know it keeps coming but then when we talk about it it's an issue but when other people can go through it, that's fine. But we have to keep carrying the the luxuries for it. And that's where I just want to know, like, what are tips, you know, that I can I can learn and, you know, and just go on with. You know, that's, that's, that's a tough situation, you know. I mean, I think the most important thing probably for you would be just, I mean, you probably already have this, just a network of other Black women. You have you know who experience the world in the way that you do, just so you can like talk about this shit stuff, <laughs> talk about this stuff uh, together, right? Okay. So, um, you know, and 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 you know, 
what's really interesting about it is that within the Eurocentric lens, Eurocentrism and individualism go hand in hand, and that leaks into how we think about healing, right? But if we look at, you know, collectivist cultures, even when those cultures are, you know, inhabit third world countries and things like that, typically their mental health is better than westernized cultures because they have community, they have connection, they have support built into their culture and their lifestyle, yeah. right? Um, but over here, the idea is to move away from that. Everything's about being independent. You know, I did it on my own. I'm self-made. I moved out of my house yeah. when I was 12 years old and I made it from the street. Like, you know what I mean? But that's unhealthy. iPhone, like, when you look at humanity, iPad, you know what I'm saying? Right? Like, cars. All of that. But check it out. Look at humanity. Any culture, world historically, what do we do with people when, you know, we are punishing them for something that they did that's really bad? We remove them from the group. Whether it's when you're a kid, you ostracize the kid and they eat lunch by themselves. When you're an adult, you know, we exile people or we, we put them in prison, isolated away from other people. So isolation is the punishment. Why would we do that to ourselves on purpose? Right? Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, I think sometimes people really think about, you know, this mental health conversation ways that are very complicated, like it, it must be this complicated therapy or, you know, these, these you know, 25 steps I got to take to keep myself. To, and it's more like, no, we just have to like have genuine human connections with others. And I mean, that may not solve our problems, but it'll help us get through our problems. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what's important because right now, everyone in this, in the, in this room and all of our friends and family, they have problems. And I mean, and if, and if you're a black person, your problems are, you know, elevated because of, you know, the way that racism impacts your life, whether directly or builds a framework in which you live that doesn't serve you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, at least, at least 1.5 times. What, man? <laughs> Whatever problem a normal person, I always say this. Normal person, for a bop average, run of a mill, is bop person one point five, at least one point five. Because and then you add race, like, like I even said, like if I'm, it, it's it's so weird because it's like, and I say and I give this example to people all the time. It's like I'm at work. I gotta sit there and smile more, cause I can't just be sitting there comfortably on my desk, focused. I smile more so Becky and Amanda and John feel comfortable on the other yeah. side. Yeah. And it doesn't. Yo, and the thing whoa, is, is like whoa, whoa. for a person who's trying to focus, I'm here. Play. You forgot Chad. It gets too never mad. forget Chad from HR. Chad and Brian and Jesse. No, like that stuff. <laughs> that stuff gets me mad. Like when I have to step myself just to make others feel comfortable. But I know deep down, like I'm cool, like I'm calm. But I just because my face doesn't project, now I have to fake smile, just so Adam and and Jessica can be happy. So like you know, like that stuff, like. And it makes me even more angry, you know, because 
this, you have to talk, sit down, you have to express all your life. And when you do actually open up Would you go briefly to the next thing? You know, just just. Going through this mental health thing, some tips or strategies, basic ones to navigate through, because a lot of them can't afford a therapist. A lot of them don't trust therapists. So what advice could you give them to navigate their world? It's probably, you know, the same thing in the sense of, you know, finding community. I think community is like the, one of the most powerful things that we could have. Sometimes we become separated from our community for a variety of different reasons, whether you know, we got to work or, or maybe, you know, the environment that we're, we're in is just, there are not a lot of people like you in your environment. Um, you know, sometimes we have, uh, you know, challenges with, you know, internalized racism and, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but it's really, for me, it's really about finding community, um, you know, um, and, and, you know, finding, and within that community, finding people you can open up to. I mean, you can't open up to everybody, regardless of whether they, they, they have the same identities as you or not. Um, but even within like a larger, like, you know, me being a Jamaican person, I can't open up to every Jamaican person on the planet, you know, but if I could find that 5% who I can, then, you know, I cultivate those relationships and, you know, the, the process happens there, right? Like, you know, so um, I, I know, again, that sounds like a really simple answer. But I think for me, that's probably one of the best answers. I mean, of course, there's things like self-care, uh, which people talk about a lot. And I, I don't necessarily like the conversations around, around self-care because a lot of them is like, yo, meditate or do some yoga or go hiking. And it's like, not everyone or, wants or, to do that. Or, or spend a lot of money. <laughs> exactly. I'm not about that you know shopping I mean? life. I'm supposed Something to go to the store cycle and spend... If I may interject, all you need to do for your self-care is to eat, pray, and love. That's all you need. Uh, that was thank a great you movie. Much. I really like that movie. Thank I, you very I, much. I, I wasn't feeling that movie. <laughs> Nobody was. <laughs> I just felt like that was like a lot of like white privilege on the screen, you know. I can't stop my life at forty-five years old and then take three months to go travel around the world and come back and everything else is you know fine. I can't do that. My family. Yeah, yo, we got this thing. What you mean? They've been trying to. No, no, you know the thing is, homes that we own. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, you know the thing is. Find myself. Come on, man. I. You know the thing is. I wouldn't even say it's, it's white privilege. I think it's like privilege, white privilege with extra privilege because 
you have to already be making a certain amount of money for you to be able to do that and your life is good, right? That's because, true. like, think about it. You go on vacation for two weeks, even at your job, your inbox is flooded. Your life is a mess. Trust me. I'm about to go through You do that right for now. three months, you don't even have a job anymore. Yeah, it's you enslaved. You, you've enslaved yourself for the next four months doing OT. <laughs> I don't even remember what we were talking about now. Uh, I just, <laughs> you know, it's all just love here. It's all just, you know, we, we just we just talk because it's good vibes. You know, you know what's funny, though, is, is we're talking about mental mm -hmm. health and what is happening right here with the five of us is self-care. And I think that's, you know, people talk about self-care like it's this huge commodity that's out there and you have to, you know, you have yeah, to hunt like it down and pack it and, and it, it has to be in front hard. of you. Do you like music? Exactly. Do you like music? That's self-care. Yo, do you want to, you know, spend a couple hours playing 2K after work? That's your self-care. Do you want to, you know, eat? Trust me, I love eating. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's your self-care. Like, whatever it is. Do you want to, you know, call up your friend and just gossip? That's self-care. Like, it doesn't need to be these very, like, prescribed in, in a box, you know, things it, it could be you have like, to lose weight have to start jogging like, what makes you feel good <laughs> all of us have three to five things that we can access pretty easily that makes us feel good just keep doing those things and then if you notice one isn't working switch off to a next one like put them like put them in a rotation just switch off to a next like for me i like sports i like music I like video games and I like artistic endeavors, whether that's, you know, writing or movies or music or what. Or even know, this like, podcast. God. Or even this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right? Well, you know, no, funny, but, yeah, I yeah. actually like comedians. And, and yeah, so I like being around funny people. Right? You know what I'm saying? Yo, so, he said video games. So, you know, yo, we about to like have a good time now. <laughs> um, you, want, you want my uh, PSN? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Um, no. Yo, listen, you gave a lot you, right now. I know a lot of our male f viewers, especially with that PS5 coming out, they're going to tell their girlfriends, wives, this is self care, baby. This is what I'm doing. It's for my I'm mental health. Play this game. I'm just supporting the man, them. That, that's really what it is. If you want a healthy relationship, I need me that PS5. Not, not to take away from wow. you, just to be around me. Have a good sense of care. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> Sorry, Malika, that you have to hear all this. But you know what's funny? Because I actually had this conversation with my <laughs> wife before. Because when we got married, I pretty much started like a year and a half. I noticed, I was like, yo, why am I all irritable? You know what I'm saying? And it's because I wasn't just disappearing into this fantasy world for like an hour and a half. And, you know, I mean, I don't play video games half as much as I did before, before, you know, I had like, you know, someone else to look after and spend time and attention and all that. Because I used to play like a lot of video games. I mean, probably like a lot of young men at some point in time. Um, but, I mean, now for me, like, I just need two or three hours a week and I'm good. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I understand, like, I don't need to go all in and be two, three hours a day, like maybe I did when I was single. I didn't have no real responsibilities. But, you know, I, you know, I got things, but I still sneak in a little bit here and there. I mean, 
my wife already knows Sunday afternoon between one o'clock and four o'clock. I mean, it's over because the, like, the team got to get on. It's Call of Duty. We got to handle the business out there. Even, <laughs> we got to hit these kids. Got to know who really the G is out here. You know, two point five KD. What's good? <laughs> And that's the last episode of the Black Jack Pack. Thank you to all of our hosts. Thank you to our special guest, Mr. Asante Hudson, for talking to us about Black mental health. It is truly an honor to have been a part of this episode. We would like you guys to like, share, and subscribe. And we'll gladly see you guys when the Aces come back on the Black Jack Pack. <laughs>